Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. How do you cope with loss? Especially when you've been been you know, building up this anticipation through through pregnancy and uh, the excitement of growing your family, and then face that loss uh, of uh, through miscarriage. How do you cope with that? Who's there to uh, Who's there to support you through that? How do uh, husband and wife cope with that and comfort one another? How can uh, pastor? Uh, help you through that difficult time as well. We're going to address that today here on Faith and Family. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family. You can find out more about them on our website, kfuo.org. Look for the CUW logo in the sponsor section. Joining me by phone now, Tony Larson, clinical social worker with Lutheran Family Service in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Tony, welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for having me. So glad to have you with us today. Thanks for sharing your, your knowledge and expertise with us. Tell us a little bit about your work with uh, Lutheran Family Service in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Yes, I'm a licensed independent social worker with Lutheran Family Service and do individual, family, and marriage counseling with folks with a variety of different issues. And grief and loss is often a topic that we address. Well, I appreciate your your time and expertise today. Uh, today, uh, addressing one of those significant losses, um, miscarriage. Is there? Uh, why are we so uncomfortable talking about miscarriage? Why is there a stigma that surrounds miscarriage um, that that sometimes leads us to to avoid even discussing it, whether we've experienced it ourselves or we know someone else has experienced it. We're always afraid to talk about it. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that miscarriage is what we might call a disenfranchised type of grief. Um, that's, that's the name given to a loss that's not openly acknowledged. It's not publicly mourned or socially supported. Miscarriage is something that occurs usually quite early in a pregnancy and is something that um, maybe there's not a lot of people that know that a, a couple is pregnant. And when the baby dies early in the pregnancy, it's not something that um, is acknowledged like the death of a baby born just after birth or the death of a child or the death of any age person. Because at this point, not a lot of people know about the baby existing, and the baby is not um, something that we know personally, and therefore it's hard to talk about. Um, I think people have a difficult time talking about death in general, and when it's a situation in which not a lot of people know about it, it's hard to share that as a couple to say, well, we've, we've just lost a baby. So it's it's something that's not uh, a topic of conversation that would be noticed very easily. Do we know how common uh, miscarriages are? Do we know how you know how frequently those those occur? They occur quite frequently, actually. According to the March of Dimes, as many as fifty percent of all pregnancies end in miscarriage. Most before a woman even misses her menstrual period or even knows she's pregnant, about 15 to 25 percent of recognized pregnancies will end in miscarriage. And yet we're so reluctant to, to talk about it when we experience that, when we experience that loss and that grief. I think we're, 
as women, we're reluctant initially because right away we believe that there must be something we have done wrong that's created that miscarriage. So there are some uh, quite a bit of feelings of shame and guilt, when in reality, the medical community tells us that more often than not, there's, excuse me, absolutely nothing that the mom has done wrong during the pregnancy, that the pregnancy ends, the baby dies because of more than likely some sort of um, genetic abnormality that no one had any control over. But we as women look for, and, and I think our, our the dads too, look for what did we do wrong? What's, what's wrong with us? Mm-hmm. What did we not do that we should have done? And in reality, there is absolutely nothing that could have been done to prevent the loss of that baby. Let's talk about that that shame that that we sometimes feel uh, that we might feel. Why do we why do we automatically go to that? Why do we automatically assume that it's something that that we have done or something that we failed to do? I think we we are critically thinking people. We mm-hmm. we look for reasons. We look for answers, and when we can find reasons and answers, we are able to make sense of things. That's the kind of the nature of the people that we are. But there are many things in our life that we cannot make sense of, that we cannot find reasons for, um, and we tend to fall back on there must be some some character flaw in me, some physical flaw in me, something that I have done that has made this happen. And it's my understanding during pregnancy, during the the hormonal changes in uh, the mother's body, that that can also affect emotions as well. Do you think that that has an impact here? Absolutely, absolutely. The hormonal changes are are extreme when we become pregnant. And so we're dealing, when we lose a baby, we're dealing not only with the, uh, the, the grief of this loss, but we're also dealing with the hormonal rises in our body and then the hormonal ebbs in our body when the baby is gone. And those definitely affect emotions, affect clarity of thinking, um, affect our behavior. Let's talk about uh, how we deal with that loss and that grief. What uh, is it similar to how we would, you know, grieve uh, a loss of a child that uh, we've met face to face and 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 gotten to know and spent time with? Absolutely. I think it's very similar. There obviously are some differences, but grief is grief. No matter at what stage someone is lost from our life, we go through uh, the, the, what we see as the typical kinds of things that we look at when we're grieving, the sense of shock, the sense of um, just not being able to, to know what to say or what to do. We go through the feelings of anger. We go through the feelings of depression. Um, and we don't just go through those in, in neat little stages. These kinds of feelings come and go and wax and wane. And my belief is that those kinds of things continue for the rest of your life, not in as a, intense a way as it does with the initial loss, but with, for example, when you have a miscarriage, uh, one of the things that you do when you find out you're pregnant is right away try to figure your due date. So when someone is dealing with the loss of a baby from miscarriage, they will go through stages um, of grieving related to when that baby would have been born. And when they see other babies of that age, that will trigger those feelings of grief. When we become pregnant, 
some of the immediate things we do besides look at the possible due date is we wonder, will it be a boy or a girl? What are our dreams for that child? What do we imagine that child looking like? What do we imagine our family being like when that child is born? And with the death of that child, even after three weeks following conception, those dreams are lost and those dreams are dashed and we are responding in grief to, the, to that loss. Even though we've not met that child, we still have dreams and imagine what that child would be like, both mo- mother and father and siblings and grandparents and anybody else who knows about that child. What are the stages of grief that, that we experience in, in any loss or any death? Well, with any loss or death, I mean, we, we talk about stages of grief, but I really want to emphasize that these are not clear-cut stages. They are observations that we make about how people cope with loss, but they come and they go and they come back, and they, it, it's, it's a constant um, fluid kind of, of grieving. We have shock. We can't believe it happened. Um, Maybe a miscarriage or death happens, and the next day we wake up and we have forgotten that there's that loss, and then we're hit with in the face with, oh, yes, that's, that person has died or that baby is gone. So the shock and the disbelief, and with that comes a certain degree of numbness. Um, when we talk about people coping with funerals, we often can see that immediate survivors are, um, you know, seem to do quite well at the funeral but more than likely they are still in a state of shock and it's after the funeral and after the immediate attention we give folks after a death they need our attention long after that because that shock will wear off we have anger we we're angry about what's happened why did it happen to us um why did god do this to us lots of anger relating to that loss um we go through a depression sadness difficulty getting out of bed in the morning, difficulty completing tasks, loss, loss of joy in things that we would normally enjoy. And what we hope and, and work towards is, in the end, uh, an integration of all of those feelings into an acceptance of this loss. Not, not getting over the hurt, not forgetting the loss, but being able to integrate that into our life and acknowledge that we loved and we lost, and that this person or this baby was so important to us, but we are able to go on with our life eventually. Where do friends and other family members fit into this, this, uh, the, the stages of grief and, and helping us through that? They fit in very, very intensely. We need our friends and we need our family to be there with us. Um, sometimes it's just the physical presence that we need. If, if folks can think about deaths that have been um, very sorrowful for them, they may not remember much of anything that anybody said to them during those early days or weeks following the death, but they remember who was there. They remember that people were present with them, and it's so important just to be physically present. Um, words are important also. What you say and what you don't say is important. In the case of a miscarriage, I think it's so important to refer to the loss as the loss of a baby, even though it was uh, maybe three weeks after conception. To those parents, that was a baby. And to, to speak of things like, I'm, I'm so sorry you lost your baby. I, um, just to, to, to give it, to give the baby the term, the name baby. 
Um, for example, I, and I can relate to I lost a nephew to suicide, and his, I spent a lot of time with his parents, my sister and brother-in-law, and they said that it was so hard for them when people wouldn't even mention Kelly's name around them. They needed to hear Kelly's name. They wanted to know that people remembered Kelly. And people, I think we, we're good intentioned because we're afraid if we say that person's name or if we say the word baby that that's going to upset the people even more. Sure. But in fact, what it is is just an acknowledgement that that baby or, or Kelly was important and is important and that they existed. Um, so what you say and what you don't say can be very important. So being able to, to mention the, the loved one's name who, who has died, being able to talk about them and remember them, remember them fondly, yes. uh, and to be able to include them, you know, the, that memory of them in conversation, it's not a bad thing. No, not at all. It's a very good thing. That certainly is valuable and important. What should we not do when it comes to uh, you know, helping family and friends cope with a loss? Well, one thing is to not give up. Um, we are very good at rallying at the time of a loss for the first few weeks, but often we drift away, and that is when folks who are experiencing loss need us most, is during those weeks following the, the immediate loss or the, the death. Um, we need to stay in touch with the people who are grieving. We need to ask them how they were doing, we need to um, be present with them. Uh, in the case of a miscarriage, we need to be mindful of when that baby would have been born and pay attention to that time nine months later to connect with that person and to say, you know, I know this would have been the time that your baby would have been born and I'm feeling so sad that he or she is not here with us. Um, it's important to try to be with that person where they are emotionally, it's okay for people to be sad. It's okay to let them know. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be depressed. This, I'm with you. I'll be with you no matter what mood you're in. This is part of the grieving process. So being accepting, not trying to necessarily cheer people up because they need to go through this, this grieving, this depression, this anger, this sadness, but to be present with them during that time. And it's also okay to be able to say to that person, you know what, I don't know what to say to you. I, I don't know what to do or say to make you feel better. I just want you to know that I'm here with you, and I care about you, and I love you, and, and I, I'm, I'm with you on this journey. How about talking to uh, other children? You know, say the... the they're talking to nieces and nephews or or siblings. Oh, that also is so very important because the loss, again, if we're talking about the loss of a baby, the children probably have been told about the, the baby that will be coming, and they too have had their own set of dreams and ideas about what that would mean. So it is important to include them in the discussions of, of the loss and, and asking them, how are you feeling and what are the questions that you have about what's happened? keeping a communication open with them and letting them know that you feel sad too so that they can acknowledge that these feelings are, are normal and part of this process. So important to keep that talking going because children have a way of not, depending on the age of the children and their um, intellectual development, they cannot grasp things um, very, 
they, they grasp things very concretely early on. They can't do the more complicated thinking until they're a little bit older. So when you're talking to a four-year-old about this loss, they may see it one way. When that child gets to be eight or nine or ten, they may be looking at the loss in a different way and thinking about it differently. So just because the loss occurred five years prior doesn't mean they may not still need to talk about it sometimes. So it's important to continue to to have those discussions with kids and keep the lines of communication open and to share your feelings with them too. Certainly, uh, you know when a you know when a child is is very young and loses a sibling through miscarriage, they may not really think through it or process it. It might be a few years later when they really start to process it, and then perhaps maybe experience more of that grief. Exactly, and that is very normal, very very normal, and we need to understand that. That, and for kids, they they are very resilient, and it doesn't take a lot to help them work through things sometimes, but we have to be aware that they may be dealing with things. One of the things that happens with kids is, is magical thinking. And I guess that's the easiest term I can use for it, is that when they are, uh, let's say they're four years old or five years old, and they hear that a sibling is on the way, they may in their mind be thinking, well, I don't want to share mom and dad with a brother and sister or sister. And then something happens and the baby dies. Well, that child may think that that thought in and of itself may have caused the baby to die. And of course, we know that's not true, but they don't know that that's not true. So it's very important that they understand that that everybody has mixed feelings about other people, but those mixed feelings doesn't mean, don't mean that bad things are going to be happening to that person and that they need to be able to work with that thought and, and certainly get past any guilt or shame they may be feeling about that. When do we need to seek professional help? When is a, an important time to seek professional help, whether we've experienced uh, that, that grief and loss of a miscarriage or, or a loved one? What is a, a sign that we should seek professional help? That's a, a somewhat difficult question because it is very normal when dealing with grief to f- be feeling some intense depression and intense anger and numbness. Um, if you were not dealing with a loss, that intense depression and anger and numbness might be something that would bring you to a counselor's office looking at there being some significant depression. But with loss and, and death, that depression is quite normal. I would think that if someone is not able to function in the long term, Um, in terms of caring for themselves physically, if they're losing a lot of weight, if they're not able to sleep, certainly if they're having thoughts of suicide, if they're not able to work at their job or do the tasks that they need to be doing on a daily basis beyond a few months. If that's occurring beyond a few months, then some assessment should take place to see if they are in need of, of, of more intensive help beyond their family. With suicidal thoughts, that should happen right away. It should help should be sought right away with suicidal thoughts. But those other symptoms that I mentioned uh, regarding appetite, sleep, and enjoyment of life, and and doing work tasks, giving it a few months, and then looking at professional help. What are some other resources that families uh, could use or individuals may use, uh, or that we could provide for those who are in? who have experienced a a loss in miscarriage? There is a lot of information online. 
regarding death, grief, miscarriage, that can be very helpful. One of the things that is I find to be helpful is being able to read other people's experiences and what they went through, because that helps us to normalize and to tell ourselves we're not crazy. Other people have gone through this. Other people have experienced these feelings. It's, a, it's very easy to access that kind of thing online in our own homes. Other things that can be helpful, and depending on where you live, you can find grief support groups, um, miscarriage or stillbirth or, or child loss support groups um, that are groups that may or may not be led by a professional but involve people who are at different stages of coping with what you're coping with, and that can be extremely helpful as well. Um, working with our physician, I, I have found that many OBGYN folks who are dealing with the loss of pregnancies have got some extra training in guiding people in the right direction when they're going through this. Um, also, um, just looking for community resources that have support groups or counselors that specialize in grief. Um, our congregations, our home congregations can be helpful if we let them know what's been going on, if we can share that with them, and our pastors, too, can be helpful. Absolutely. And we'll talk with Pastor Stephen Cholak here in just a few minutes. He'll provide some insights for us as well from a pastor's perspective and from a husband and father's perspective, having experienced a miscarriage in their family as mm-hmm. well. What about remembering the child, the uh, things that we might do to, uh, to help us remember the child? We have just about two minutes left. Many, many different things we can do. Um, I think that working with your family, with your spouse, and with your children to think about, we want to remember this baby. What would be a good thing for us to do? That might be planting a tree in a park. That might be making a donation um, to a group that um, researches um, birth defects in children. It might be donating something to a preschool or a school. But I think the important part is working the the parents and their children, if they have them, or other family members thinking about what would be a good way to remember this child. Another uh, thing that they might do is remembering at the, the, the time that the child would have been born, perhaps doing a balloon release, doing something that commemorates that activity, or at family gatherings, uh, lighting a candle at the table to remember that child and including that child in the prayer. Um, for that meal. Many different possibilities, but I think symbolically it's an excellent idea and it helps with healing. Anything else you'd like for us to know as we uh, as we consider this topic of miscarriage today? I think it's excellent that we're talking about it and making it, getting it out in the open. Our technology has made it possible for us to know when we're pregnant early, very early in the pregnancies. And with the, the pregnancy loss rate at 50%, many, many people are experiencing it and can benefit from more information getting out there and, and folks becoming more aware and more sympathetic and aware of what they can do to help. Tony, thank you so much for uh, sharing this with us and helping us uh, work through this important topic and helping us understand miscarriage. My pleasure. Tony Larson, clinical social worker with the Lutheran Family Service in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Always great to have uh, wonderful, knowledgeable guests like you today. Thanks for being our guest. You are welcome. Thank you. Coming up in just a little bit, we'll talk with uh, Reverend Stephen Cholak, and uh, he'll share with us some insights as well from, uh, from the perspective of a pastor as well as a father and a husband. 
You're listening to Faith and Family on Worldwide KFUO. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. A new poll says 70% of churchgoers don't hear abortion talked about. Many pastors who don't bring it up say it's divisive. Members would leave or won't give money, or they don't want to burden the conscience of those who've chosen abortion. All are bad reasons. Abortion's one of Satan's most effective tools to drag souls to hell. Pastors should be mobilized to protect and defend their members. Mothers and fathers of aborted babies who don't hear abortion talked about in church often feel it's because the sin is so great there's no forgiveness. The answer is to let your congregation know the church is where burdened souls find forgiveness and healing. Visit lifeissues.org and click on the microphone icon to get helpful pro-life resources for your church. Like us on Facebook at Life Issues and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. The members of Grace Lutheran Church in Wellsville, Missouri, invite you to visit them or even drive your tractor to church on Drive Your Tractor to Church Sunday, August 28th. A special worship service, a tanning, great picnic food, a picnic after that. Oh, I like those picnics. Tractors will be on display for us to enjoy. There will be games for all ages. Everybody is welcome. Grace Lutheran Church is located at 528 West Hudson Street in Wellsville, Missouri. For information, call them at 573-684-2106. We'll see you there. Hi, this is Rich Robertson, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Each day, we at LCEF are energized by you, the members of the LCMS. People's lives are transformed by the gospel, and the world can witness that change through your actions. LCEF is blessed to share in these experiences as people, like you, invest so that loans and critical services are available for ministries and church leaders. We're encouraged by you and your action and inspired to be there for you. Check out lcef.org. Hi, this is Pastor Harrison. Let me tell you about something new and exciting. We call it Life Together, a monthly digital digest where I'll be sharing news and highlights from synod publications and multimedia outlets. There'll be something for everyone. Each digest will be delivered to your inbox, showing how we live and work together to proclaim the gospel and bear Christ's mercy to one another in our congregations, communities, and the world. Please be sure to subscribe today. You'll be glad you did. A long-standing tradition at Worldwide KFUO is to broadcast two Sunday morning worship services for those unable to attend or who wish to benefit from hearing God's Word on KFUO or online. From Blessed Savior Lutheran Church in Florissant, Missouri, Pastor Matthew Roglin leads the worship service at 8 a.m. The live late service at 1045 comes from our Savior Lutheran Church in Fenton, Missouri, where Reverend Mark Sell is senior pastor. 
Hear the message of mercy and forgiveness during Sunday morning worship on Worldwide KFUO. This is Jedi John Lekumski <laughs> and Jedi Matt Clark. Bring your droids for 30 minutes of intensive Bible study and Jedi training on Wrestling with the Basics. Saturday mornings at 9.05 on KFUO AM 850. Or on demand at KFUOAM.org. May the Force be with you. And also with you. Saturday mornings at 9 on KFUO, the messenger of good news. Listening to Faith and Family, I'm Andy Bates. Joining me by phone, the Reverend Stephen Cholak, pastor at Emmanuel Lutheran Church and School in Roswell, New Mexico, associate pastor and teacher there. Pastor Cholak, welcome back to Faith and Family. Thank you. It's great to be with you. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. In, in addressing the, the topic of miscarriage, it can be both a, a delicate topic and sometimes a topic that people avoid altogether, but uh, we're addressing it today because it's it's certainly a topic that many families deal with, many couples deal with, and so I appreciate your time today. As Thank a pastor, you. what are some of the questions that parents, uh, many parents face when experiencing miscarriage? What are the questions that that you've heard, that you've seen, or experienced yourself? Yeah, I think the the one that pops up most frequently, the first one that comes to mind is, is my child going to go to heaven? Um, what's going to happen to my child when they when they die, or have they already died, and are they in heaven? Um, what what can I know from the Word of God? What what does God what does God say about this? Um, and I guess follow up to that is, um, if if God has has given me this child, why is He taking it away? Mm-hmm. Those are the, probably the two big ones that that come to mind. Well, let's start with um, the, the the second question. We'll come back to the the, our, the the first one here in just a moment. So, if uh, that's a very difficult question, uh, if God has given me this child, why is He now taking this child away? Yeah, and. This is a great question because a lot of times we don't, as a people, uh, especially in our culture today, understand that when we have a child, it's not because um, we did something. It's not because of some sort of um, activity. I mean, definitely he God uses an activity, don't get me wrong, but it's not because of some merit or worthiness on our part that we now have the ability to make children, but... Um, our culture te- teaches us that, but the Bible teaches that it is the Lord who gives us our, ch- our children, and it is um, it is the Lord who forms and shapes that child in in its mother's womb. Uh, so it's not something that we do. And it also talks about the fact that these children that the Lord gives us are um, blessings to us, blessings to our marriage, and blessings uh, which He calls arrows in the quiver of a man. Which I think is a beautiful, a beautiful metaphor, um, especially as we're in the midst of a fight, right? So if God has given you an arrow, why now is He making your quiver empty? And um, I think the the place to go there is where where has the Lord taken your child, and why has He taken it, um, him or her? The Lord takes uh, takes the you know, Andy, this is a difficult question to ask without answering the first one, too, but I, I guess we can allude to it, and that is um, that the Lord, um, 
the Lord knows each one of us before the foundation of the world. And so he's been thinking and praying, uh, well, not praying, he's been thinking and pondering uh, each of us uh, since the very beginning. And that includes the, the child that is in utero, that includes the children that are running around in your backyard, um, in your schools, and, and all the, the places in your life. Uh, and so um, when it is his, his absolute wonderful time to take that child to his nearer presence, that's that's the perfect time for him. Now that doesn't that doesn't equate to the perfect time for us, and that that's the the crux of the pain and the hurt, right? Hmm. Um, I just uh, I was thinking this morning with our school kids, we were we were reading First Samuel, and First uh, Samuel in the section of the Bible where. David has been anointed king, and Saul is still king, and Saul has an evil spirit in him, and he's pursuing David in order that he might kill him. And David constantly is seeking the Lord's advice and the Lord's word as he goes about the things that he that he does. And it seems to me that our our sinful flesh, our old Adam is always saying, well, what is it about, about me? What, what is my reason and my senses tell me about my situation? But what does the word of God tell us? But, um, like, like unto David, um, let me acquire of, of the Lord's word. Let me find out, um, like first Samuel 23, four, then David inquired of the Lord again. Well, let's go back to our knees again. And the Lord um, will give us his answer in his holy word, but um, what what is the what is the human reason or the old Adam's response? Well, um, obviously this is this is of evil if the Lord has taken uh, this this child when it doesn't make sense to me in in my life and in my in my situation. But is that? the right time uh, for the Lord as he is taking care of his own and um, taking care of the child which he has taken from us. That's the real answer. Why do we often find our identity or try to find our identity in uh, this ability to, to have children or uh, bringing children into this world why do we sometimes find our identity in that? You know that oh, I you know I I can have children. I'm I'm strong. You know, especially from a guy's perspective, I would you know I've I've fathered uh, you know five children, so I'm a, a good, strong, manly man. Or it, you know for a or the 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 opposite of that. You know, I, I'm not able to to father children, therefore I'm not a very strong man. Or or a woman, the you know not being able to uh, to bring forth a child and and. Uh, you know, thinking that uh, her identity is in that, her ability uh, to bear a child. Why do we find our identity in that? Well, I think probably the easiest way to look at it is in the light of vocation, right? We we oftentimes um, identify ourselves, or we would uh, give credence to our our virility, our our, um, our virtue by the fact of of our vocation as as man and then say, okay, well, of course, to be a man always means to be a father in, in our old 
old Adam's point of view. Um, and so uh, we then judge our, our uh, station as man by whether or not we have all of the other vocations that other men happen to be given. Um, and that, I guess, would translate over to, to woman as well, um, which, I mean, it's such an interesting thing because of all of the, the systems of the human body, all of the great gifts that the Lord has given to us as, as a human being of other people. Um, my nervous system doesn't require any interaction from anyone else to function properly. Um, and likewise, my cardiovascular system, but my reproductive system does. And so when we look at Genesis and the creation story and we say, well, what did it mean for Adam to be complete? What did it mean when the Lord said no suitable helper was, was found for him? Um, well, that was one of his systems uh, um, as well as other things, but one of his systems wasn't complete. It needed the rest of the other half of it. And um, now we we would say, well, can we base everything upon that one thing, which is reproduction? Which may even be an interesting um, spinoff, too, in our culture that we've, we've separated out from, from ourselves sex from marriage. We now we now have um, sex without marriage, and we have marriage without sex, and we we make those two independent of each other, instead of realizing that the gift of sex um, is one that comes entirely with within the envelope of marriage. Now, marriage is a much larger umbrella that that takes care of of so many other things. And like we would say back to Adam, he had many vocations, right? He was preacher, he was protector, he was provider. Um, and he was father and husband, but um, now we've taken father out of that, and we can we can say, oh yeah, well this is my father, but he's not married to my mother, and um, we we have that that separation, which I think now spurns and um, and fuels the fire of what it means to say, well, if I don't have kids, therefore I'm not a man, or I'm not a full man, or not the man that I could be if I if I had kids. Let's go back now to that, that question we started with earlier, the question that, that parents ask when facing a, a miscarriage. What, what happens to my child? Where, will my child be in heaven? Where will my child be that, that uh, I've lost in miscarriage? Oh, yeah, this is, this is a great question. And we have a few things to, to uh, jump on here. And I, I think the first one I want to go to is so beautifully captured in Luke's Gospel. Uh, this is in the first chapter. If you won't mind, I'll, I'll read just a little section here. In those days, this is Luke chapter 1, verses 39 and following. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she was exclaimed, and she exclaimed with a loud voice, "Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is the one who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord." Um, this beautiful text of of 
our Lord's mother going as soon as she finds out that she's pregnant to the hill country to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who is now six months pregnant with John the baptizer. And when she enters the, the house and she gives her greeting to Elizabeth, John leaps up and down inside the, his, his mother's womb in excitement um, at, the, at the meeting now, the first meeting of, of the baptizer and our Lord Jesus. Um, and so this, this is a great, beautiful text of, of the, simple, the simple baby John, who Jesus names later as the greatest man born of woman, and yet at the same time in that same paragraph or sentence says uh, that he is the least in the kingdom of heaven, um, that he would have the Holy Spirit and be filled with faith inside of his mother's womb, um, that he would hear a greeting that his, his uh, mother's ears received. Um, just a, an amazing thing here. And um, I don't think it's, it's uh, wrong then to uh, take that and apply it to the rest of, of creation as well and say, well, um, John was an ordinary man um, appointed to a specific vocation as forerunner, but nonetheless an ordinary man. And uh, he heard the word of the Lord in, in his mother's womb, and likewise our children um, here in, in their mother's wombs as well. And um, where then does, does the Bible say faith comes? Well, like unto John, faith comes by hearing, and um, the Lord continues to use the preaching of his word into the hearing of a mother's ear to nurture and to guide and to protect the baby which is in utero. Um, I don't know... I, in your experience, Andy, have have you spoken to your children in your utero and and um, absolutely a response of any any kind? I don't know if there was a response, but I certainly did speak to our child, uh, you know, throughout pregnancy, and uh, still say some of the the very same words to him every night uh, that I said to him every night at bedtime uh, during the pregnancy as well. Um, uh, you know, very comforting words I want him to know the things that I want him to know at the end of the day is that you know his mother loves him his father loves him and most importantly Jesus loves him his uh, his God his heavenly father loves him and those are the things that I want to leave with him each night and so I I spoke that to him every night during uh, during the pregnancy and also now every night when we tuck him in bed I make sure that that uh, he hears those words as we conclude our day uh, I don't know. I don't really remember him responding a whole lot other than occasionally there was a little bit of kicking, but uh, that could have <laughs> yeah. just been uh, typical kicking. I don't know if it had anything to do with me speaking to him. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit was leading the direction for, for Luke to write those words. And if we, if only we could have a memory of our, our experience in our mother's wombs to, to talk on this subject. But um, we have this one experience here, and I, I think very important for Luke to include the Holy Spirit to give it there in the beginning of Luke's gospel um, as a testimony to the fact that faith comes uh, to even the unborn. Um, and if, if there's faith um, there, that then is the Holy Spirit working in the heart of, of a young child um, to wrap them in the, in the righteousness of Christ. And um, if, if they're wrapped in the, in the righteousness of Christ there, they belong to to the Lord and um, are gathered to his presence um, when, when it is that they die. So 
Now, that, that also then brings up an, an interesting uh, topic, which I've heard many different things from different pastors, but um, what is this thing that the Holy Scriptures talk about, which is the necessity of baptism? And because many uh, a, a parent who loses a child to miscarriage or even someone who's uh, been, been suffering the pain of, um, of the guilt of an abortion, um, I, didn't have my, I didn't give birth to my child and my child wasn't baptized, is my child in hell? Um, well, the Bible speaks a lot of the necessity of baptism. Unless someone be baptized, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. For instance, John 3, um, pretty close to John 3, 16, um, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. Uh, but um, also then, as St. Paul un- uncovers and-, and expounds on baptism, talking about the, the necessity of what baptism does, um, I think we can see how it is that it is the, the, the refusal of baptism or the despising of baptism, which would all, I think, under, go under the umbrella of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But um, that the despising of, of baptism is what pulls us away from the Lord, not the, the inability to be baptized. And I, I think that's an important distinction to be made, for instance, even for an, someone who's already been born, who is alive. You're scheduled to be baptized on Sunday morning, and you, heaven forbid, get into a car accident on the way to, to church and you die. Um, is that a, a, um, a despising of baptism, or is that an inability to be baptized? I think that's important in this, in this conversation, because that, that would be an inability, not a despising and uh, where do you then fall for that, uh, fall after that? Well, you, you must fall upon the, the evidence of faith and the, the promise of the Holy Spirit giving faith in the hearing of his word, which um, would, be, would be present in the life and the, and the um, experience of Christian parents. What, Did that answer the question? I, I believe so. What... <laughs> What would, should we not say to parents who have lost a child in miscarriage? What should we not say or not do? Um, probably the first one is, um, I know how you feel. And that's probably a good thing not to say to anyone who's lost someone um, or some other great heartache or tragedy. But um, it's a very unique feeling. And even someone who who has experienced uh, miscarriage before their own miscarriage. Each mis- miscarriage is a different experience and, and a number of different emotions and um, uh, thoughts that run through the mother's mind and heart, as well as the father's mind and heart. Um, there's a, a, a striking thing that's said by the, the writer of the book of Hebrews. And um, that is uh we have a, a high priest. Um, let me see if I can find it really quick. It's um, at the end of, of Hebrews chapter 4. Since then, we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of God, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Um, right there, uh, we have a high priest who is, who is um, able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Uh, of anybody ever born of woman, the only person who knows uh, how we feel, it's, it's Jesus. And rather than telling someone, oh, I know how you feel, I think the better answer is to, to direct them to, to the Lord and say, um, our Lord Christ knows how you feel. Our, our Lord Christ has your, your child in the palm of his hand and um, is with you in this time of weakness. And he's beckoning you to his mercy and to his grace uh, in your time of need. Um, yeah. <laughs> in your, we've spoken certainly about from this perspective as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, uh, in, in facing your own experience, what was most troubling and where did you find comfort? Um, most troubling for me was the inability to take the pain away from my wife. Uh, to take the pain away from me, uh, I want that. That is, I think, an extension of that, um, the virility, the the manliness of of being the provider and the husband, right, and the and the father, knowing that um, I'm the one who's been given to protect and to provide, and not be able to give comfort um, in and of myself, um, and uh, to know definitely to know what the what the lord had, had said and that uh that he has given faith and uh that we we made sure to to speak the word of god and and to speak the the love and the the forgiveness of of christ um to my wife and and to our our child um but knowing that I didn't have any control over what what was happening, and then how to take care of her in the midst of of the event um, uh, and the the pain afterwards, the emotions and and those things. But but then to to know, like I said at the very beginning of the interview, to to say, okay, well, what does the Lord say about this? Let's not turn to me. Let's let's inquire of the Lord and. And be okay to cry, and to be okay to empty myself, um, so that I could be the the provider that she needed at that point. Um, it's okay to cry too. It's okay to 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 weep, to mourn too. Right. Yeah. Hmm. And I think you know, coming after the, after the fact that when you're in the moment of it, you're like, oh, why is the Lord emptying my quiver? Why have I asked for a child for so long? And then now to have it and watch it be taken away from me. Um, and, of, you know, of course, you find out that the, the miscarriage is starting and it's not like, oh, okay, now she has a miscarriage. Okay, let's move on. Um, tomorrow we'll, we'll be happy, right? No, you have sometimes days and, and weeks before um, the whole thing is, the physicalness of the whole thing is over and then the other emotions and such can set in. But, um, to say, oh, well, why did I ask for this gift? And then know that it was answered, yes, you can have this gift, and then to have my quiver emptied again. Uh, why? And then to say, to be able to step back later and say, well, no, I still have a quiver. I still, I still have a blessing. I, I, was, I was bereaved of a child, but 
um, that child is still alive in the presence of our Lord. And that, and that is, um, you know, in the, in the book of life, um, Stephen begat uh, Marion, um, and uh, that, that lives on forever. And that, I think, is a, is a comfort as we, as we think of, of these things in, in many different circumstances, that we are oftentimes caged by uh, the world's thought of what death is. And, of course, there's the pain of, of the separation. But death, where is your sting? It's gone. <laughs> Grave, oh, oh, where is your victory? It's not here. Um, Marion is still alive and, and very well in the presence of, of the Lord. And um, that's important, as it should be for each, each family who's bereaved of a child through miscarriage. Looking toward the future, how does this, how does your experience, uh, with just about a minute left, how has your experience uh, affected your perspective on growing a family in the future? Yeah, I think at first, or at least in the midst of it, it's like, well, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna touch my wife again. I don't want, I don't want this pain and this agony, right? Um, but then you realize, well, what is, what is it that has been given, um, first of all, to me to be to, to Stephanie, and that is, I am her husband, and uh, what does that mean? I'm her her provider. I am her helpmate. She is mine, um, and the two of us complete each other. And like I said earlier too, the the all of the components of what marriage is um, need to be provided for, and and we look and continue to ask the question we've always asked, that is, um, Lord, bless us with children, and how does that happen? Well, we, we continue to be um, husband and wife to each other and care for each other in, in body and mind and, and soul, um, looking to the to the word of our Lord and and His great and wonderful promises, and. Um, the gift which he's given to me, which is a wife. Um, so we're going to have, uh, we're going to continue to pray for more children and and uh, a larger uh, increase of, of the Lord's church. The Reverend Stephen Cholak, Emmanuel Lutheran Church and School, Roswell, New Mexico. Thank you for being my guest today on Faith and Family. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.